Well, we have eight people tonight, so we're going to have to move at quite a pace. But what a variety. I think you'll love tonight. We want to see what the Lord is doing. I think you'll find it very encouraging. We're going to go right up to Scotland and um, to Terry McCutcheon. So, Terry, welcome. Good to see you. Um, Terry, what, what sort of work are you involved in? Um, I, I founded a Christian charity um, four years ago. Um, and so really we are a work ministry uh, directed towards those who struggle with substance abuse, whether alcohol or drugs. Now, now you say you're a word ministry, so you're helping these people socially, but you're seeking to introduce them to the Lord Jesus as well. Yeah. Um, I worked for nine years at the Tron Church. I was on staff at the Tron Church in Glasgow. My own background uh, Prior, prior to becoming a Christian was, I was, I was a heroin addict. Uh, that was some 19 years ago. Um, but I've always had a burden for those who are broken and lost um, in addiction. And especially in my own country, just last year, um, Scotland uh, had the awful tag of the drug death capital of the world. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a passion of mine that folks, folks get to understand what's really happening in someone's life when they're trapped in an addiction. Um, there's a lot of secular theories out there, a lot of 12-step places like Alcoholics Anonymous and places like that that would teach that at the root of an addiction is an illness, a sickness, or a disease for which you are not responsible. But um, the, the Bible won't have any of that. Um, in fact, you know, when the, the prototype addiction is drunkard, any time it appears in the New Testament, it always appears in a list of sins. So the Bible never holds drunkenness up as a sickness. It always holds it up um, as sin. So biblically, uh, biblically, trying to help folks to understand biblically what is going on um, in their addiction and, you know, what, what, what's happening, that it's, that it's a choice, that it becomes a sin, that it's a uh, false worship and ultimately idolatry. So, so that's... <laughs> That's what we that's what we teach, you know. Um, and how do you get alongside? How do you meet these people initially, Terry? Um, well, because of my own background, um, I'm quite well known in the city, um, and uh, I've got a lot of friends in Narcotics Anonymous and places like that. Um, and so, if anyone's really interested um, in finding recovery in faith, uh, Christian faith, um, then folks would would often direct folks my way. I was doing I was doing a couple of groups a week when I worked for the Tron um, as part of my job as an associate minister. Uh, but the reason the reason I uh, the reason I uh, set up Hope for Glasgow was in order that we could reach uh, a wider audience. Uh, one 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 of the one of the biggest things that someone trying to break free from an addiction what they need is is time as 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 your time to input into them. And most, most ministers and most pastors mm -hmm. times are at a premium. And, and so I, I set up Hope for Glasgow uh, to be a parachurch organization in the truest sense that we could indeed serve the churches. So um, a lot of ministers in Glasgow and beyond know all about me and they would send folks to me as well. So that's where we get folks. And, and um, are you doing one-to-ones with them? Are they meeting together in a group? Do you provide them with hospitality? How are you doing it? It's a mix, a mixture, a mixture of both of those things. Um, normally, normally, um, with someone with an addiction, 
Um, the church, the church would normally try and send folks maybe away to maybe a Christian rehab or they would direct them towards Alcoholics Anonymous or, or something like that. A lot of churches have those sorts of a meetings, uh, kind of a meeting in their churches. So what we are is we are not a residential rehab. You don't come to us and uh, you stay with us. We are more what's called a community rehab. So we're more like an outpatient service rather than an inpatient service. And we're based in Glasgow city centre, which means we are only one bus journey away from Glasgow and beyond. Um, so folks come to us from, from all over the place. Um, and it's a, it's a programme. It's a, currently we have a 15 week programme that runs three days per week, Monday, Wednesday and Friday. And we address both the practical and the spiritual nature of addiction. Um, so the, there's a lot of group work, there's a lot of accountability, um, there's uh, one-to-one sessions, uh, stuff like that, a whole mixture of things. And are you seeing some of these people being converted? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Um, um, you know, sadly, uh, one, of, one of the boys, uh, now this boy, this boy had been with me since January 2017, and uh just the, the week that we went into uh, lockdown, um, you know, sadly, he he went back to using drugs that week. Um, uh, he fell back into sin just the same way we can all fall back into sin. Uh, but that, the, when he fell into sin, it resulted in his death. So I, I heard he was using drugs, and uh, 45 hours later, he was dead. But this boy, this boy was as bright as a Christian as I've ever met. Um, oh. had a biblical understanding of addiction that would put uh, plenty of ministers to shame. Yeah, we, 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 we've quite a few boys that have, have come to faith. But our, our real plan, uh, Roger, um, is, you know, a lot of parachurch organizations, and I've worked in parachurch organizations, they, are, they get very down on the church. You know, they, they say things like, if only the church would, would do its job right, then we wouldn't exist. Well, Hope for Glasgow exists because the church has done its job right. And we're, we, we love the church. Jesus died for the church. And we're very much, uh, part of our plan is to try and uh, get these guys rooted and committed uh, to the local church. So as well as having our, our city centre day programme, we also have um, like, like our sort of a Christian AA type meetings. And we have these in partnership with gospel churches throughout the city. So we have, we have four of these meetings uh, a week. And, and, and part of that is, you know, we hope to widen and strengthen the ministry of the church. But we also want to make the transition from parachurch organization to church as smooth and as easy as possible for these guys. Hmm. Terry, it's very frustrating that we're going to have to move on, but that was absolutely fascinating. Let me just say, if anybody has any questions, and I saw somebody was raising their hand, as it were, mechanically, um, please send your questions in. We're going to put it up on the screen now, a text you can send them to, or a Slido address, if we could just put those up on the screen. Uh, So 07946852. 071 or slido.com and the um, the code is 60814 so you can ask them specifically or generally and at the um, uh, Dave will later on send out to everybody a list of the various organizations and ministries and individuals if you want to receive say 
information about Hope for Glasgow from Terry. We'll give you the information how you can do that. Terry, thank you very, very much. I think we're going about 450, 500 miles south now down to Mark Perkins, who's in Exeter. Mark, good to see you. Thank you. Thank you, Roger. Good to be here. Now, Mark, I think what we're going to find out from you is that you're doing what we often sort of traditionally think of as evangelism, but it's hard slog. What is your ministry? My main ministry is uh, visiting homes. So I visit people door by door, uh, engage them in conversation, try to see which of those people from their doorstep are, might be interested in learning more about Jesus Christ. Now, that is a tough call, isn't it? First of all, you've got the problem of dogs. But secondly, <laughs> I'm scared of dogs. But secondly, suspicions, you know, the confusion with one of the cults or whatever. Have you got a sort of initial sentence or two that you use to start the conversation? Yes, I do. Uh, and what's interesting is even as we identify ourselves as visiting on behalf of a particular Christian church, say a Baptist church down the road, uh, people still ask, or you Jehovah's Witness, because that's who they're used to seeing. They're, they're simply not used to the Christian, the, the local Christian church coming out. But yes, we um, we might use the good newspaper, and uh, we might say we're visiting on behalf of the local church, and uh, we just thought we'd offer everyone in the area some good news instead of all the bad news. And I'll tell you, 9.9 .9 times out of 10, people say something like, oh, sure could use some good news, and the good newspaper is widely accepted. Or we might just simply ask, uh, we're just wondering, you know, at this point in your life, what you might believe, if anything, about God and listen and, and see what they have to say. Those are a couple of the opening lines we might use. Or if there's a specific event, we might say that we're visiting, just letting people know about this specific event and then carry the conversation from there. Now, it probably goes without saying, but why are you doing door to door work? Door to door work is a great, great way to reach people. Now, I moved from America to England and uh, I was in the, the belt buckle, supposedly, of the Bible Belt there in Texas. I was a part of a mega church. Uh, church was just so much a part of the culture. Not that people were necessarily born-again Christians, but moving to England, I, I saw very quickly that church attendance itself uh, just was not a premium. And I discovered this organization, Outreach UK, uh, that visits people in their homes. I thought that's a great way to reach people. If so many people don't go to church, it's a good way for a Christian uh, to go and reach people. And I just got very excited about the possibility of that ministry. And as I explored it, I discovered that God was quite excited for me to, to join that also. Visiting people in their homes, uh, they're comfortable. It's their territory. They can feel like they're more in control. And, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's uh, something I'm very excited about and thrilled to be a part of. And percentage-wise, obviously, it will vary from day to day. But percentage-wise, Mark... How, what percentage of the doors you knock on are you able to have some sort of meaningful conversation? That's interesting. I, I had thought about that over the years, and, and really this is quite accurate, I think, to how it is. 50% of the doors we might knock on generally in any given day might answer. And of those 50%, you might have another 50% of those uh, that, so a quarter of the doors that you knock on, uh, that you might have a, a conversation where you think, this, this might go somewhere later, uh, if, if nothing else, or someone out of that percentage who might be uh, uh, very, very interested. Most people, uh, a, a myth about door-to-door -door is that people will slam the door in your face if they're not interested. People are very friendly. Uh, they're very kind about their rejection, generally, uh, but they do let you know if they're not interested. Uh, but uh, yeah, probably about a quarter of the doors that we knock on in any given day, you might think there might be something there. 
And and would you seek eventually, Mark, to go back and maybe do Bible study, or do you try to get them to? How how do you follow up a good conversation? Yes, we. If someone shows a great deal of interest, we might visit them sooner. Uh, rather than later. Uh, and uh, if they really show an interest, uh, we might, you know, it just depends on, on, on how we feel the Holy Spirit leads. Uh, we've invited people out to coffee uh, at, a, at a local, you know, coffee shop. Uh, we might invite them to a Christianity sport course. Uh, I might invite them to join. Uh, I have a Facebook page that I, I just call Discover God. Might invite them when appropriate just to sign up and just explore that Facebook page in their own time. But yes, we follow up and uh, try to engage them in, in some type of Bible study or some type of church event, even if it's like a games afternoon. One of the churches I visit has a games afternoon, and that's a great introduction to the church, to other Christians in a very general uh, atmosphere. So, yes, we follow up and try to invite them to something where we can get to know them and explore further what they really are interested in. Hmm. Um, Mark, how many years have you been doing this in, in England? Wow. Uh, full time since 2001. So, okay, wow, so 20 years. years. Have you found it's got harder as a, a secularism has increased? Yes, yes. And one thing that I note for sure, it's harder for people to trust you that so many people have been hurt in so many ways that I come to the door as a stranger. And first of all, they're not very necessarily interested in God. But secondly, just they're just down on human life and human relationships. And uh, so to build up even that trust takes longer, let alone just the fact that there's a, the lack of knowledge of God in general. I, I've seen that decrease also. Now, you mentioned a Baptist church at the beginning, but you're not a Baptist, actually. You work with a, a group of different churches, don't you? Yes, a variety. And do you find that um, you can get Christians to come out and help you, or, or are they all scared? Most of them are scared, and, and that's a great disappointment. I just try to let people know it might be an environment you're not used to, but all we're doing is talking to people. And in fact, we try to train them to do more listening. I try to ask questions and that's a great way in because uh, you get to hear uh, what the other person believes and that gives you an angle in. It also helps them to feel respected and not just preach to. So anybody really can listen, inspired by the love of God. If the Jehovah's Witnesses can do it without the Holy Spirit, surely we can. We can do <laughs> listening, asking questions. And we look, we know our story. We know that Jesus is alive. We know that truth. And when appropriate, we can always get that in. So maybe a strange, different environment, but really it's just listening and talking to people as you would do at the supermarket, uh, over over your, your fence or any place else. That's do all it work, is. Do you work individually or do you work with somebody else, Mark? If at all possible, I work with somebody else. Uh, would it be a lady normally? Would you go with a lady? So there's a man and a woman? Usually it's men. The ideal situation is, is lady and man. Uh, there, there are a, a few ladies that do go out, but it's mostly men when I do, do, out, do go out with somebody. We're running out of time, but very quickly, a few seconds. Tell us a quick story of a person. Yes. One story is a, uh, a couple uh, that I met. And uh, they just sort of listened and didn't say anything and just sort of took everything I offered. And I remember leaving that door and thinking, well, that's not going to go anywhere. But I heard through the grapevine a few weeks later that this couple had shown up um, at a church event. And they continued to go to the church and grew more and more interested. And in fact, uh, they became members of the church, uh, became baptized believers. And uh, they have both died now. And uh, they are with with the Lord. And that came from that conversation where they hardly said anything. 
and I felt nothing's going to come of this. But uh, they just gradually went through the church, were loved, were welcomed, were, were, were made to feel a part of the church family and became uh, born again thanks to Jesus Christ. Amen. And lastly, have you ever been bitten by a dog? No, I haven't. I have been marked <laughs> at. <laughs> Now, look, if anybody wants to know more about Mark, he does a tremendous work. We love Mark and uh, Outreach UK. Again, we'll give the information. But we're going from Exeter, not that far away now, but across the River Seven and uh, Seven Estuary to Cardiff. Fiona, lovely to see you, Fiona. Hey, now, too. I know you're working with one particular church in Cardiff, and we'll come on to that in a moment. But you were for many years working in France, weren't you? That's right. Yeah. What I was were you doing there? I was doing student ministry in Bordeaux. In the university? Yeah, so a lot of the stuff we would do would be going on the campus once a week, um, doing surveys with students, just trying to get them to talk, really. And then we would invite them to, like, these cafe discussions. And the French just love to talk philosophy and um, share their opinions. So it worked really well in France to get them along to this cafe where we'd get in small groups and talk about different themes like friendship, love, loneliness. And we'd have a lot of really good gospel opportunities. And uh, we also did English lessons and we were able to invite some of them along to Bible studies as well. Now, Fiona, you're working in Cardiff with the Heath Church there and you're working with ladies, but also international uh, students. Are you following the same sort of pattern, the same, I don't know, cafes, questionnaires, etc. when you're working with students? Um, no, it's quite different, really. I mean, I actually don't work very much with international students now because we have, have another full time international student worker. But I am involved with some of them on a one to one. Um, and I am involved with international ladies. We do a Bible study um, for them once a week. So it's quite different what I'm doing in Cardiff because it's church based. Um, whereas what I was doing in Bordeaux was just interdenominational and just kind of like getting out there and being the stepping stone okay. to churches, really. So, so go on, tell us what, how are you seeking to reach ladies with the gospel? Yeah, so different ways, really. I would say quite a few activities that are like a bridge towards people. So these are people who are not really interested in the gospel, but we are just trying to build relationships with them. So things like our mums and toddlers group um, and we have like children's clubs where we try and get alongside the parents. We have a coffee shop and the parents wait in the coffee shop during the club. So we ch try and chat to them then. Um, and then, you know, other things where, you know, seniors lunches and that kind of thing and one off events throughout the year. Like we had a wreath making um, evening at Christmas. We have craft afternoons once a year. Um, so different ways to just try and meet people and befriend them. And then, you know, we've run things like Christianity Explored um, or done one to ones with people. Um, the Bible studies I mentioned with internationals. Um, so, yeah, just trying to get alongside people and then praying for opportunities and hopefully studying the word with some of them. And when you study the word, what do you do? Do you use the word one to one or how, how do you do it? Yeah, I mean, it varies, really. Um, we've run a couple of Christianity Explorer courses, and I do find that they work really well. Um, so, yeah, we've been encouraged by that. Um, but, yeah, I would just kind of see what the particular needs of the lady, um, the lady is that I'm working with. And then, yeah, there's so many resources out there for one-to-ones. Sometimes just go through a gospel. 
And of all the countries that you work, you know, people from different countries that you're working amongst, are there any way you think at the moment they're particularly open to the Lord? Um, yeah, I mean, I would say Iranians are, are coming to faith. Um, we, we have a large group of Iranians in our church and we're seeing several of those come to faith. Um, Chinese as well. There's a lot of students as well as some of the ladies who come along to our Bible study who have come to faith. Um, so that's been wonderful. Is it an issue, say, an Iranian married lady trusts Christ that her husband may not be a Christian? Is this is this a major problem for them? Yeah, it's it's extremely difficult. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of hard to go into some of the, the situations, but um, obviously it's a Muslim country. And so to turn away <clears throat> from that faith is to sort of turn away from your whole identity. And um, yeah, it certainly is is very difficult for some of the ladies that, that I know whose husbands are not believers. Some of them are coming to church now that they're in this country um but yeah it's it's incredibly hard for them and a lot of them have made great sacrifices because of their faith mm, amazing and approximately how, how many women have you got some sort of contact it may not be deep but it might be you know a, you, you know their name sort of thing and they know who you are but approximately how many ladies have you got contact with do you think wow that's really hard <laughs> well, is, um, it, is it 10 or 20 or 50 or that's vague that so i would have like they quite... know who you are and you can chat with them a little yeah um oh maybe 10 or so i would say that i really have a meaningful all right i know i know a more casual one as well go on yeah i mean obviously a lot more than that through like the mums and toddlers because we would get a large number of women in um into that um so yeah quite quite a few more um maybe 30 plus yeah right and some of them come to faith um yes um i mean one that stands out for me obviously because of my love for for france and the work i did there um is actually one of the international students who who came to faith about three years ago and it was amazing for me because i didn't see any French people come to faith while I was in France. <laughs> we saw other mm. nationalities. Um, but it seems that the Lord does work in their, their lives when they come to other countries in the greater openness. So um, this student was brought up a Catholic and went to mass every week. Um, but she had absolutely no idea why Jesus died. It was an, a mystery to her and why he had to do that. Um, she did her first communion. And then in school, having been taught philosophy, she just came to the conclusion there is no God. If there is, it certainly cannot be the God of the church. Um, but then she came to Cardiff and she met a Christian friend on her course who started to bring her on to the international student evenings. And she started coming to church. And, um, you know, originally she was just really looking down on Christians thinking, well, I'm above them because I don't need a crutch, you know. Um, but eventually, the more she spent time with Christians, the more she began to see they they did have something she didn't have. They had this peace. They had, she describes, a light about them. And she said she felt like a child in the, play, on the, in the playground who was left out because 
everyone else knew the secret that she didn't. <laughs> and um, and she just said, you know, I knew she, I knew I had a hole in my heart that I kept trying to fill with other things and I couldn't. And so as she started to come to church more, um, there was this one Sunday where um, the pastor just said, now is the day of salvation. And she just knew that she had to respond to God and she knew she believed in him. She said she can't pinpoint it, but she just knew there was a change in her heart. And suddenly, instead of feeling outside this group of Christians, she felt part of this family. Mm. And um, I love how she said it. She said, my life that was black and white was now really colourful. And so I did one to ones with her and had the privilege of seeing her really mature and grow. So that was amazing. Yeah. Fiona, that, that is. It's very encouraging. Don't forget, if you want to ask any questions, do send them in by text or by sl- Slido. Fiona, thanks very, very much. I think we're going behind prison bars now to um, tonight. Yes, indeed. Which prison is this? <laughs> well, actually, if, you, if you know anything about prisons, you'll realise that that is not an English or a UK prison. Um, in UK, the, the, the wire goes vertical and horizontal. In the background as well. Okay. Um, Nigel, you, so clearly you're doing prison ministry. What does that entail? Well, first, thank you, Roger, for letting me come tonight. I'm really nice to share with you. Um, I, I, as daylight was set up to this follow called, up. This, um, what, what do you mean by daylight? This is, daylight is the organization which I work with. It's a Christian ministry. Um, it began by um, day one book publishers sending diaries to the prisons. And they were so popular that it was felt that someone should go in and follow them up. So Gerard Crispin, a friend of mine, was through Beast Mission as well, he got me involved. He was involved himself and then got me involved as well. Basically, we go into prison to reach prisoners with the gospel and to help those who are Christians to, uh, to become established, really. And, and how do you, you know, you can't just walk into prison. No. Well, you could, but, uh, but they'll keep you for a long time. And um, how, how do you get in and what do you do? Do you do chapel services? Are you meeting people in their cells? How you, how you get well, into prison? All kinds of things. But the key is to get in touch with chaplains who, um, appreciate visitors coming in and sharing the gospel because the men like when visitors come. And so we, we, we established contact with the, the chaplains. We've got to gain their confidence that we can come in. And, and then when we're there, we, we do various things like we, we take part in Sunday morning services. So I'm never at my own church on a Sunday morning. I'm always in a prison on a Sunday morning. Um, midweek, we do Bible studies. And in some prisons, I'm able to go into the, and talk to individual prisoners in their cells and so on. Amazing. And, and, you know, why do they want to meet you? Is it, is it because they have a spiritual hunger or is it they're just desperate to meet somebody? A bit of each. Is it? Mm. Yeah, the, the, the men, obviously, life is very hard in prison. Uh, not, the, I mean, the actual surroundings and the food and their cells are nice and warm and food is nourishing and, uh, you know, they got dry beds, whatever. But it's what's hard is the bullying, and the and the interaction which among the men and it's it's it can be frightening for them, and and of course it's extremely dehumanising when they everyone every time they want to go from one place to another they've got to bow down to somebody who doesn't unlock a door for them and everything else. Uh, but these men, many of them, have been in and out of prison a number of times, 
at first, when they first go in, they always have to say, it's somebody else's fault. It's not my fault I'm here. And when I get out, I'm going to be different. But of course, they get out and they're back in again. And, and after two or three cycles, they begin to appreciate, face up the fact the problem is not out there, it's themselves. Mm. When men get to that position, they are really quite ripe for some kind of spiritual uh, input, really. Now, again, I know, and we've had a few stories, so we don't necessarily want a story, but I know that you've seen conversions, but, but it's one thing to be converted, to trust Jesus Christ, to have a spiritual hunger, to be able to read the Bible and pray in prison. Yeah. But what happens when they come out? You see, how, how can they be integrated into a church? Well, that's, that is the real difficult problem we face. Um, when we know that a prisoner, a prisoner is getting close to the end of his service, we will contact the church where we know he's going to be living and try and match him up with the church. We are trying in daylight to develop a mentoring scheme. So we've mentored a man in prison the last few weeks of his sentence and then hopefully someone else outside, not the person, but somebody else uh, will meet him outside and, and try and get alongside them. But of course, the vast majority of them, we, we just lose contact with them. We just have to leave them in the Lord's hands, really, which is hard. But you're able to take chapel services, you said, Nigel. And, and how many would come along to, want a, say, a morning service? It depends on the, on the prison. Um, but uh, the one I go to every month, on the first Sunday of every month, is a prison in Wolverhampton, which is one of the, the biggest prison in the country in terms of numbers. And we get, a, we get there of the order of 80 men. Eight, 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 zero. eight zero. Now, Roger, you think sorry, of, sorry. You, how eight, many men? Eight, eight, zero. Yes, yes. Wow. We we have you, you imagine in a church, and it, if if you got five working age men unchurched came to church, you think this is wonderful. Mm, and I'm yeah. reaching, I'm reaching eighty unchurched, you know, working age men in in prison. They come to their service and they sit in absolute pin-drop silence. They're drinking up the gospel, Roger. And do you sing... We've never said anything like that anywhere else. Do you sing hymns? Do you read the Bible? Do you yeah, pray? It's, it's done, it's done as a normal service. And some, I take the whole service. Others, the chapel will leave the service and they will just preach. And, and when you preach, you preach the gospel that Christ died. Absolutely. He rose because it's a Christian service, you can say what you like. Well, you promote Christ and the Christian message as strongly as you wish. And and are you totally dependent, really, on the goodwill of the chaplain? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, one or two prisons, I do have the status of being a volunteer chaplain. Right. Okay. So I, I, I draw keys and I walk around the prison and I, I go where I want in the prison. This is where I want. Um, but that's one or two. Um, that's a Sunday morning, you see. Now, midweek, uh, one prison, again, the same one I mentioned earlier, we have a Bible study, which starts at 8 o'clock in the morning. And we've had numbers between 20 and 35. It's coming around. We sit in a big circle. We've all got a Bible in front of us on a table. And we, we start studying the Bible just after 8 o'clock. We have a sort of short break for coffee mid-morning, and they carry on until 11, or quarter past 11 even. And we're doing nothing but just read the Bible and talk about it. I ask questions and engage them, and they come along, and, and uh, you see amazing changes in these men's lives. The Word of God taking hold of their heart, 
and they become different attitude altogether. Well, it's what we believe and it's wonderful to hear. Nigel, thank you very much. Hope you can escape from there a bit later on. But uh, <laughs> Thanks very much. I think we're going to run over on time a little bit, but not too much. We're going to try and keep to it. But this is fascinating, isn't it? Well, Andy Little. Andy, we had to interview earlier because he... Um, uh, he's actually speaking at an evangelistic event tonight. So, but Andy Little, it's over to you. Andy, it's really good to have you with us. Um, open air preachers, I don't know, they've had a bit of a bad press recently, but you work with the open air mission. You go into the open air and preach the gospel. Why do you do it? <laughs> good question. Um, because the Lord has called us to do that and it's a wonderful way to reach people. And yes, there are there are people that um, uh, give us a bad name, but uh, hopefully we can show the difference between that kind of thing and a, a genuine, reasoned, thoughtful, uh, winsome presentation of the gospel. So you're not screeching at people, you're not bellowing at them? No, 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 no. We use the natural voice, we try not to raise it too high, uh, and... The, the idea is always to try and engage with people. And if you can get people uh, in, in engaging uh, in, in a serious debate. And Andy, you go to several places during the course of just one week, don't you? Yes, I do. Yeah, I, I try to go to the same place at the same time uh, on the same day so that you build up a regular uh, hearing. OK, and um, and... Well, sorry to be blunt, but does it work? You know, it's one thing for people to come to church and listen to a preacher. They may doze off a little bit, but they don't walk away normally. But but they can walk away from you. Does it work? Uh, yes, it does. Um, we're, we're out there where people are. So you're going to get all sorts. And as you rightly say, uh, people walk on by, people aren't interested. Uh, because they haven't set out to come to hear someone preaching. They haven't set out to say, oh, I'm going to you know, sit down and listen to someone preaching. So you're dealing with people who perhaps would never, ever come to church, uh, as well as others. Uh, and that's why we really have to work at being engaging, at being thoughtful and interesting. But we are reaching people that don't come through the doors of a church. Uh, and it's just a marvellous opportunity to reach people like that. Well, Andy, we can see you've got a nice, gentle, winsome manner. Um, do you ever get problems with the police? Because they seem to have a bit of a downer on people preaching in the open air, don't they? Uh, so far, my my uh, I, I found the police very, very helpful. Mm. And several times they've come to uh, help me when they thought there was a problem, someone was being rude or, or acting in a violent sort of way. They've been very helpful towards me. I think there's only been a couple of occasions when um, police have tried to move me on um, and, and just graciously sticking up, sticking to your ground and just saying, that, you know, what is the problem? Um, usually the, the, I haven't found a problem. I've found them very helpful. Do you find that Christians come and support you or are they a little bit embarrassed when they see you and pass by on the other side? <laughs> yes, yes, you get both. Uh, you do get some who uh, yeah, don't want to wave at you when, when, when you're out there doing that. Uh, but there are others who come and fortunately over the years, uh, people have come 
perhaps with a little bit of scepticism or just a little bit of curiosity and they've stayed, they've seen the value of it, they've had a good conversation with someone uh, and so they continue. So yes, uh, we, get, we get both. And you give out New Testaments and Gospels and leaflets and things like this, don't you? Yes. So at the end of each presentation, we try to encourage people to uh, come forward for a Gospel of John, typically, or, or something else that will be helpful to them. And by that, you, you gauge their interest. And I think for themselves, it shows their interest that they're, they're willing to come out and take a, a gospel off this strange man uh, on, the, <laughs> on the street. And um, and it's often at that point you get your good conversations. So it's not just the uh, public proclamation, but it's taking individuals in personal uh, conversation. That's where you discover where they're coming from, the issues they have, the background that they've come from their objections, and that's where you can take them step by step um, through through dealing with those particular issues. Do you get discouraged? Um, I, I think apathy is the hardest thing. Apathy is the hardest thing. Uh, I, I would much prefer, you know, a, an animated atheist than, than just the, oh, yeah, so what, thank you very much, goodbye. Mm. Uh, so you, you do have to deal with that. But I don't think I've ever come away from an open air meeting yet where I felt that was a total waste of time. Mm. Every time there is a conversation uh, with someone that you feel, yes, that was that was worthwhile. Is there one particular story you can relate? I'm sure you've got thousands, but uh, <laughs> uh, is there one that comes to mind, Andy? Um, there, there's loads. Mm. Um, there were, but here's, here's one that illustrates some of the things that we're dealing with. Um, a, a girl called Lorna came along and listened in Bedford. She listened to the presentation, and then I spoke with her for about 45 minutes, and she rubbished everything I had to say. She was an atheist, and what I had to say was all just fairies at the bottom of the garden sort of stuff. Uh, anyway, during the conversation, I said to her, look, Lorna, uh, would you would you just take something away to read? She said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll have a look. So I gave her Ultimate Questions by John Blanchard. She took that away. Um, about a month later, she came back. She listened again. I got into conversation. And again, for three quarters of an hour, she rubbished everything I had to say. <laughs> but um, in, in there, I said to her, Lorna, did you read the little book that I gave you? And... Uh, she said, oh, yes, she said, I've read it a couple of times now. Look, she said, I've got it with me. She pulled out this crumpled up heap of her ultimate questions out the bag. And uh, I said, Lorna, could I give you something else to read? Oh, yes, she said. Anyway, so uh, this happened. And over a period of about six months, she took various things. And then one day I was in Bedford. I was on my own that day, which is unusual. I don't like doing it on my own. But... Um, uh, she came up to me and she said, Andy, I've completely changed my mind. So I said, well, what do you mean, Lorna? Uh, she said, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus. And uh, I've started going to church. So I said, oh, well, that's, that's amazing, you know. Uh, I said, no, that's a, that's a really lovely uh, place to start, Lorna. But, but that is just the start. What you really need is a personal relationship with Jesus. 
Uh, and then she said, I know, that's what I want. Hmm. I, I, I was thrilled with that. So I, um, I spoke with her further and encouraged her to find a good church that she could go along to. Um, anyway, a few weeks later, she came to me and uh, tapped me on the arm. She said, Andy, I've discovered that personal relationship with Jesus. Hmm. And uh, she had come to faith and uh, going along to a, a good church. Hmm. Now, it was a, she, was, she then went off to university, uh, a London university, to study law. Very bright girl. Um, about two years later, it was, I saw her. I was coming away from the open-air meeting. We caught up. And uh, I said to her, Lorna, you know, how's it going? She said, oh, yeah, it's going very well. I said, have you found a church up in London? She said, yes, I found a church not far from the university. And, uh, and then she said to me, um, I've encouraged lots of my uh, fellow students to come along to church with me. And she said, five of them have come to faith and been baptised. <laughs> I thought, Andy, what have you been doing for the last two years? <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? That's great. And, so there's there's a you know someone coming from a very negative mm. background, and the Lord has done a great work in their life. Amen, Andy. Thank you very very much. Thank you. We love you and appreciate you. God bless you, Andy. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Well, now uh, we're going to look at um, evangelism amongst a group that's really neglected. Just incidentally on that, with regard to real lives. Um, by the way, on Saturday with um, Sir Jeremy Cook, he is a fascinating man. He's got some amazing stories. You'll enjoy that. But uh, we're going to try and get some uh, signing so that um, we, we'll have a facility up on that website for the deaf and maybe try and focus on Polish and one or two other sort of smaller groups. So keep an eye on that website. But Claire works amongst um, six formers and six form colleges. Claire, it's great to have you. Where are you based? Um, I'm based in Eastbourne. Right. Oh, the sunny Eastbourne, eh? Uh, <laughs> are you the youngest person who lives in Eastbourne? I am not the youngest person. Everybody <laughs> thinks it's, it's full of elderly people, but actually there's a fair few of us. All right. Okay. Yeah. And your work, tell us exactly what it is, Claire. Um, so I work for a charity called Festive, which um, is a bit of a weird acronym. It stands for the Further Education and Sixth Form Initiative. And basically... Um, uh, our passion is to make Jesus known amongst sixth form and college students um, and not just the students, but the staff, basically um, to make sure that there's a vibrant witness of Jesus in the further education sector. Um, some people get confused when when you hear FE uh, and it's all like academic terms. So you've got schools kind of going up to um, year 11 and you've got universities, which are the HE bracket. Um, and we're working with that kind of gap in the middle. So it might be um, schools that have a sixth form or a sixth form college or like a big, huge FE college with trainee plumbers and mature students trying to retrain. So it's a huge demographic, really. Um, it is. To, um, to be honest, there's so much. We, we hear a lot about work amongst uh, university students. Yeah. But actually, yours is a huge sector, but there's very, very little going on there, isn't there? 
Yeah, it's a totally different beast, Roger. So at universities, you've got lots of churches and ministries um, doing work there. Obviously, they're over 18. They're supposed to be places uh, that are full of free speech. So Christian unions are supposed to meet and have whoever they want there. And often they're 30, 50, 100, even 200 strong. In uh, the colleges and the sixth forms that we support, you're looking at a Daniel in Babylon situation. Um, most of the Christian unions, if they're allowed to meet, are about three or five strong. If you've got a CU in a sixth form that's 10, they are on something. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's just amazing. And these are young people that are still living at home um, and uh, are just feeling the pressure of being in an environment where often it's very difficult to be known as a Christian at all, let alone speak about your faith. Yeah, now Festive is a fairly new organisation, really filling a gap because nobody else was doing anything with them. That's right, yeah. I think yeah. it's remar remarkable. Yeah, Go on, sorry, Claire. No, it's okay. We've been going since 2007, um, and um, the Lord has been amazing in that time because we're not a massive um, ministry. There's a small staff team. Um, it started with one lassie who then passed the baton on to me. Um, I started doing like a day and a half a week, and that's up it up to scale. And now there's six of us. Tremendous. Um, but How we, you... yeah, that's no, okay. So we support. Um, I think in the, on the books last year was almost 400 students have regular email contact with us um, and we have a whole volunteer system now where students who um, really benefited from uh, that advice and um, that support and that prayer that went into them and um, quite a few of those have taken the baton on now and uh, are supporting other students. Oh yeah, there's a the pretty screen. Um, yeah, so if you, Dave, if you... Um, flick it onto the next one, you'll see their lovely faces, some of them. So so some of these, um, no, not that one, sorry. So some of the students um, that are doing that job are kind of um, people that maybe couldn't start a Christian union or really could get one going, but basically were living for Jesus and had really known the Lord's blessing while they were there, and they want to just help other young um, students to do the same. What age group are the, the student leaders, if I can put it like that? Um, so the ones that are there. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So um, 16 to 18 year olds. Which is re a really tough challenge, isn't it? Really if tough. <laughs> they're standing for the Lord at that age. Yeah. That is wonderful. So you're there yeah. to help them. Yeah. So basically, rather than um, us as a group of six going in to every college and sixth form, um, first of all, we just don't get often those open doors. If, if there's a local... A group that would like us in that is amazing and there are chaplaincies that we're trying to establish which are really Jesus shaped and um, those guys can do an amazing job um, but um, like you say that age is really tricky so we are all about helping them um, lift their eyes to the risen king who has put his resurrection spirit in them and saying look at what God can do through you you don't need to be a super mega pastor person. You don't need to have um, gifts like Roger even. Um, God can use you and he uses weak and foolish people all of the time. And sometimes you'll blunder and sometimes you'll get it all wrong. Um, but you have the good news and people around you are in darkness and you need to share it. So we're all about trying to equip the missionaries that God's put there to say, of course, you're there to study and get to uni or um, train on this course to become a beautician. 
but do you not think there's a bigger purpose at play? Um, your father has put you in that particular place for those particular years to shine for him. So live, live out your faith, be distinctive. This world is in desperate need. And this age group are, are as you all know, um, really struggling with mental health. They're hearing all kinds of stuff all of the time. They've got to assent to this, not assent to this, not question anything. Um, it, they're being bombarded and everyone feels lost. And Christians that are rooted and anchored in um, the God that we know to be true and fatherly, that's what young people today need. Yeah. Claire, I'd love to investigate more times going, but it's not one of those organisations we know much about. Is there any way in which churches or individuals even listening now can help, can get involved? Yeah, that would be amazing. So if you want to know more about Festif, go to festif.org.uk. Mm. Or if you go to YouTube, we're trying to get more of our resources and our kind of equipping stuff out on, on YouTube. You can, um, if you type in Festif UK with a capital F, I think. Yeah, um, really Instagram, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if, if um, whether praying is on your heart, giving is on your heart, um, or... Can uh, churches get involved? Yeah, churches can be brilliant. So first of all, they can support the young people God's put there because mm. we're not trying to take the, the church's job. We, we really want to um, work alongside churches and say, look, don't just keep your, your youth... Um, the Friday night youth group and um, building them up so they just keep going, show them that, that the gospel is to be shared. And um, so Jeff, definitely support your young people to show them that they can be missionaries where they are. Um, and churches can be great because sometimes Christian unions can't meet in the building. But if you're a couple of doors up from a sixth form and you've got a little bundle of CU, you can open your doors and bless that group and even have evangelistic events at lunchtime happening there's nothing to stop you doing that or chaplaincy yeah yeah definitely get in touch because there's loads of ways you can help <laughs> thanks very much claire that's, that's okay great. don't forget if you want to ask questions we won't have much time but hey we're going over to the one part of the uk we've so far omitted shame on us but let's go over to ireland and steve wright steve good to see you now we're going to talk about all of ireland but you're based in belfast correct yes and um just tell us the scene. We always think of Belfast or Northern Ireland being very, very uh, open to Christian things. But I think things are slightly on the decline, aren't they, in Northern Ireland? Yeah, there's a real mixture, really. I mean, it's been amazing over the years. Uh, you know, Northern Ireland has been very, very blessed, uh, you know, with the uh, with the gospel and people who've shared it so effectively. And uh, I've lived over here now for nearly 47 years and I've learned so much uh, from Irish uh, uh, Christians. They've been uh, throughout the whole island of Ireland. Mine has been the privilege uh, to work uh, alongside but yeah, no, there is the increasing secularism, both north and south. And uh, we see that in the introduction of uh, laws that have liberalized so that, uh, abortions, same-sex marriage, uh, things that would have been unthinkable a number of years ago. Uh, but nevertheless, there is still a very, very uh, uh, strong uh, Christian presence. They say that for somebody to be reached, effectively, they should have one evangelical church within uh, 10,000. Uh, and in, probably in the south, there's one to every 35,000 in a place called Bangor it's one 
in uh, in every 753 people. I think it must be one of the most uh, evangelical uh, places in the whole of the United Kingdom. So it's a mixture uh, of different things, both opportunities, both north and south. But recently, a number of churches got together in the C.S. Lewis Square. Uh, C.S. Lewis was born in Belfast, grew up. If you're ever over here, visit the C.S. Lewis Square. It was he who said, anything that is not eternal is eternally out of date. And we had a great uh, time with hundreds packing the, uh, uh, the, the C.S. Lewis Square and the sharing of the good news. Amen. Now, I want to talk, you're particularly involved with United Beach Missions. And um, I personally am indebted to United Beach Missions. Now, you work primarily uh, from over there in the south, don't you? Tell us a bit about your work um, in the south and what you're doing, how you're seeking to reach people with the gospel in the south. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting. Many years ago, uh, two brothers from Cork City came over, founded Young Life out of that. My father, Werner Wright, uh, uh, became a Christian, was mentored by Lance Pibworth. And the work of Beach Missions began to grow in 1953. In the 1970s, it's the 50th anniversary of the work in Ireland. We were invited into Donegal uh, and then into Sligo and then into Kerry. And one of the places that we uh, uh, that we go, uh, uh, the next slide shows, is Ballybunion. And uh, there are three beaches in uh, in Ballybunion. There is the ladies' beach, the gentlemen's beach, and the nuns' beach. And uh, uh, being gentlemen, of course, we operate on the ladies' beach. But we get a tremendous uh, welcome. And uh, it's been a real privilege to serve, to just in, a, in an ordinary way, to win the friendships of our holiday makers and to cross the bridges of friendship with the good news. And it's just been amazing the number of families and the individuals that we've met. How many centres do you work in in, in Ireland? We work in uh, seven centres. We also do outreach in, in Dublin. And as you know, Roger, sometimes the weather in Ireland can be very, very inclement, you know. But we go out whatever weather. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Ballybunion. And it was amazing. Underneath, the, when, the, when the waves were coming in and everything, there was two or three families underneath the parachute that night, including one father who came because one of the team members regularly uh, wrote to his uh, son with his consent on the Postal Bible Club. So there are amazing opportunities uh, to really reach people in Tremor, in County Waterford, uh, and Ardmore, and Ross Carberry in the west of Cork, to Kilkee at the mouth of the Shannon Estuary, uh, and right up to Donegal. And this is done normally in the summer. Obviously, this year is going to be different. But um, um, Steve, uh, I don't know. Is there, um, we, we know about the increasing secularism of Ireland and the sort of moving away from the dominance of the Roman Catholic Church because of some of the things that have gone on there. Do they look on you with suspicion because you're just another group working with children and families and they're suspicious or I don't know is there an openness to the gospel still? very much so Arch the former Archbishop of Dublin Desmond Connell said Ireland is moving in a secularizing direction and I think a lot of people from many different backgrounds see the increasing but also see the tremendous uh, benefit that the true Christian faith has brought and so in relation to the activities we run children must have the parents permission but we find that there is a in the last 20 years, there's been a sort of a, a, a unique window 
of opportunity when taken. So on a typical uh, day's program, there's a great uh, program of discipleship with the team. And then we're on to the beach about 11.30 for games and then into an interactive uh, 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 a little Bible story, which we encourage all the parents to join in with them with a great tug of war in the afternoon with up to sometimes 100 children on, on the rope. And then back uh, there for a, a really lively packed holiday special. This year we're going online and, and different things. But it's really lovely to just, to, to see people open and they're seeing sometimes the results of secularism. I was on uh, finished uh, in Bali Bunyan and it was just a just a beautiful day. We just enjoyed meeting with the families and and I, I just walked. I said, Lord, just lead me to the family. Walk past one, past two, and I came and sat with this family. And I said, I hope we weren't making too much noise. Not at all. We really enjoyed it. And they said, we'd, we'd love to chat with you. There must have been 11 or 12 in the family. And then they, they said, you know, just six weeks ago, my brother was murdered in Cork. It seemed, uh, inquiring a little bit further, that they'd been over a, a drug issue. But for so the next 20 minutes, I really listened. And they poured the heart out. And I said, would it be okay if I give you just a little Gideon New Testament? We'd love one of those. And I said, would it be okay if I prayed? So we just prayed with them. And then she looked up at me and she said, do you know, my brother's a born again Christian and he mm. runs a tremendous fellowship in Cork. And every day, he, uh, a Sunday, he comes in to take people, to take them to church. I said, do you know what I said? You need to get on that bus. So for <laughs> some, it's, uh, it's just uh, working, but we know for others, uh, those who've come to know the Lord as well, Roger. Steve, very quickly, time's gone, but you recently interviewed a uh, an Irish what is surf champion, didn't you? Just tell us what that this was about. Yeah, he's, John McCarthy, uh, as the Beach Mission goes online, uh, you'll be able to see his story. He's three times senior surfing champion and he is uh, a European bronze uh, medal. Uh, some of the highest cliffs in the world are in the County Clare and the Cliffs of Moher. Many years ago, we ran a beach mission in La Hinch and uh, there was no evangelical fellowship that we got a very warm welcome from, you know, from all of the people in in, in that town. But now there's a thriving fellowship. And he is interesting as he shares how he went on his surfing journey. Some of the waves are just huge that he serves. And yet how he began to inquire into all sorts of different things, got a Bible and read it. And we know that this is happening not just with John McCarthy, we have a guy, John Bruton, who was on the beach many years ago in Bali, but, you know, 15 year old. And we take them from 50 to even your age, Roger, my age. <laughs> uh, and uh, just said, hey, we'd love you to come along. He's a little bit reserved. But he came along, saw a little Bible verse being taught, went and got a Gideon Bible. And now not only has he come to faith, but two or three of his brothers as well. There are many stories like that. Yeah, that's great. I'm going to interrupt. We haven't quite left the best wine to the end. It is very, very good wine we've got, but we've had good wine all the way through. But Lee, it's wonderful to have you. Lee has done the utmost act of treachery. He's left Yorkshire and gone south. But Lee, it's good (laughs) to have you. what are you doing, Lee? What's your ministry? Uh, so I work for the Soldiers and Airmen Scripture Readers Association. We call it SASRA um, because we all forget what it stands for anyway. And it's basically <laughs> evangelism to the forces. Um, and I predominantly work with the British Army alongside the chaplaincy. Uh, my main effort is to share the gospel with as many soldiers and their families as I possibly can. Now, when you were in Catrick, I know literally hundreds of, of young people would come through the training course in Catrick. And you you had amazing opportunities with them, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, 
I think uh, over the seven years I was there, I probably spoke to about 12,000 uh, young people. Um, and on week one, we still would have church parades. And for the seven years I was there, I had the privilege of, of most of those services. We would probably be every couple of weeks um, to offer a, a copy of the New Testament and Psalms and to share a gospel message. Uh, the beautiful thing about that is, uh, because it was on the first week, no one had left training uh, by then. So that's everybody that's come through the infantry training centre uh, in the last seven years. Roughly about 12,000 soldiers has, has uh, been at least offered a New Testament and Psalm or heard a gospel message. So that's it's incredible, really. When you say soldiers, are these quite young or are they a real mixture? Uh, so the School of Infantry, you can join at 17 and a half until the age of 33. So predominantly, I would say they're in 18, 20 years old bracket. Um, but we had some younger and some some that joined the army at about 33. Um, you know, they'd had maybe a career in Civvy Street, uh, been made redundant or it's something they've always wanted to do. So we had at least one grandfather that came through. He was 33 and his uh, daughter had a baby while he was there. So, yeah, a real mixture. A real mixture. Incredible, really. And how many scripture readers are there in throughout to the UK? Do you know? Or approximately? I'll, put it, I'll probably get it wrong. I think it's 13 full time at the minute. So, And, um, and you're on different around. different army bases. Yeah. And you've got army. one lady working with the RAF as well. RAF, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Meg. So, yeah. It's an amazing yeah. opportunity. Do you, as well as, as it were, offering a New Testament and speaking to a big crowd, do you get involved individually with them as well, Lee? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That, that's the scripture reader's bread and butter, really. So, um, you know, I like to call it loitering with intent. So my day-to-day business, uh, it all depends where you are as well. So the unit I'm on now um, is completely different to where I've been. So my day-to-day business will be um, in just engaging with people on a day-to-day basis, one-to-one conversations, hopefully being offered cups of tea and numerous uh, bits of cake and biscuits and just engaging with the soldiers where they are um, and what they're doing. So, yeah. Now, Lee, you, I don't know, I may be wrong, and perhaps I'm generalising too much, but I imagine some of those youngsters are not coming from the easiest of home backgrounds. No. That became quite apparent over lockdown. Um, so over lockdown, I was still at the School of Infantry, and we so there was 2,000, just, just over 2,000 recruits, we had to look after 800 recruits um, that could not go home. Some of them were from different countries, so that's the reason. Some of them get quarantines, um, but there was a large majority of our soldiers that just could not go home because their home life uh, is so chaotic. It just wouldn't have it wouldn't have worked. So we we had to keep them on camp, and we had to have a duty of care um, to those soldiers. I've heard some um, some really terrible stories over the last um, 12 years um, from the from the backgrounds these soldiers come from. And it is the army that, that gives them a new home uh, and a fresh start. And then hopefully they meet one of us, which um, we can introduce them to a real fresh start. Mm, absolutely. And, and Lee, I imagine if there are young people coming, you know, who are Christians, it's not the easiest environment for them to survive as Christians. Are you able to help them? Yeah, definitely. I would say say that that's uh, 50% of our role is to try and discover who the Christians are and uh, assist them in their in their fellowship with God, uh, with their walk. But also 
you know, to encourage them that they, because they they are soldiers and they are Christians, um, that they're, they're the ones that should be sharing the gospel as well. So my son-in-law um, is a committed Christian. I met him one day on camp, uh, invited him back to my house, which was great because he, he ended up marrying my daughter. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's his story. And even being able to encourage him um, to share the gospel. Um, and my son-in-law has been on various different tours. Um, Iraq and Afghanistan and his witness it, through all of that was impeccable uh, for Christ so yeah very and proud. Do they get fearful before they go on some of these deployments? Yeah absolutely yeah um, I would say uh, our services so my first five years was in Germany working with units that were going to and from Afghanistan um, so you know before they went on tour the churches would be pretty full and a lot of people would be knocking on the Padre's door and uh, coming to speak to me, but we we set up a we set up a program for every soldier in in the area that I was at uh, that went out to Afghanistan over those five years. We set up with the chaplaincy a program that would enable us to talk about their fears, but also to share the gospel as well. Hmm, interesting. What can we pray for you, Lee? Uh, well, I'm on a new camp. Uh, I'm only on uh, my first week, really. Uh, it's a completely different um, type of camp. I can't say too much about it uh, at the minute. Um, I'm working with a very unique uh, group of people at the minute. Um, so just pray pray for me as I, I'm going to spend the next couple of months just learning um, what these guys and girls are actually doing um, so, so that I'm accepted, um, that I don't put my foot in it and that the doors will be flung wide open. I, I can tell you already that um, I've spoken to four commanding officers uh, this week and each one of them has welcomed me in and told me that I, I, I will be an asset to them and they will use me as a scripture reader and I've got full permission uh, to get amongst the weeds as they call it um, so it's it's a large area that I'm covering so just just for God's grace every single day and for just to be ready to have a word in season for the weary soul there's plenty of them about at the minute Lee, it's really good to have you with us. I, I, for me, this has been a most fascinating evening, but bless you all. Thanks. But let me hand back to Dave and um, the questions. Right. Thank you very much, Roger. And thank you very much to everyone else. We, we have reached quarter past, but we will go on and have a few questions. We understand if you want to leave, uh, if you have a home to go to. Well, no, you're <laughs> at home. Um, but uh, we, we, we will take a few questions, have a little bit of interaction. Then we'll break out into breakout groups uh, and uh, pray. So let's go straight over to Phyllis. Thank you, Phyllis. Thank you. Uh, it's a question for Mark. If a church is wanting to do door-to-door, are there people who can come and help support and train folks who haven't done this kind of evangelism before? Yes, there are plenty of people. In fact, some of them are online tonight. Uh, just get in touch with, with me and I can get you in touch with the appropriate person. We can come to you give you training that's tailored to your church and, and work with you uh, tailored to your particular situation and, and, and work with you to give you that encouragement. We understand it's a scary thing, uh, but yes, there are people available. Thank you. One for Fiona. The church I attend has a mums and tots group, but getting mums to attend, uh, to talk and attend church doesn't seem to work. How can we get them interested in spiritual things? Yeah, that's an excellent question. We have the same problem, actually. And um, a lot of mums and to toddlers groups have 
like a story, um, different toddler groups do it differently. Ours has like a, a very short Bible story. It is optional if people want to come and listen to it. Um, but basically what we've found is, you know, just praying for people, praying for open doors, earning their trust. And then what we started actually just before lockdown <clears throat> was a parenting course um, uh, called Wonderfully Made. So it is based around the Bible. Um, but it's a course that's also very practical to help them parents. So for us, it was like a stepping stone. It wasn't asking them to come to church, but it was inviting them, giving them something practical to help them, um, you know, as, as a mum, but also introducing them to the Bible. So if you want to know about that, I can, I can tell you a bit more about that course. Um, And then other evenings that we've done that I mentioned, like, the wreath making evening we had loads of mums um from the mums and toddlers group and it it can be hard to get beyond that I do understand but I think we just have to find those stepping stones because they are so far back um from the Lord so thank you Um, a question for Nigel um how are you helping prisoners during lockdown well um I can't go in because uh a because i'm over 70 and therefore i'm considered to be vulnerable um but also um the, the, so the chaplains we know to be christian we're supporting them we're praying for them i'm in regular contact with my telephone but also um every week i write a, a little article which is sent in to the to the chaplains they photocopy them and put them under the doors of the men in, in, the, in, the, in the cells and uh, I understand now that, um, so I, I send some to people that I know, and they send to others. And I, I understand that there are thousands of these going out every week. So we're helping in that sense. It's, it's a, and the thing is, men have got time to sit and read. And these have all got the gospel in every one of them. And uh, that was interesting. So, you know, we, that's what I'm doing. That's the best I can do. But uh, we, I just, we, daylight, we aren't able to go in. We do write to men as well. We get letters from, from men and we write to them. Uh, so we, that's, that's the best we could do at the moment. Mm-hmm. But prayer is essential. That's the thing. Thank you. Um, one for Claire now. Claire, are you able to link with Christian teachers in FE colleges? And do they actively support the small Christian unions? Um. Can you just repeat the question, Phyllis? Yeah. Are you able to link with Christian teachers in FE colleges and do they actively support small Christian unions? Yeah, so we are able to link with Christian teachers. Um, if there's a Christian teacher that wants to link with us, um, the best thing is just to email in. Um, you'll probably get Kathy, who was a missionary in Madagascar for like 18 years, and she's just... Um, a brilliant chaplain in a in a college in Wrexham and she answers a lot of those kind of um, uh, emails and and has great ideas and will just really support any Christian teacher we, we regularly pray for Christian teachers it's really hard for them to be alive and uh, on the second part of the question um, yes some of those teachers are able to support CUs if they run in fact they're brilliant gateways um, to room bookings and they might be able to uh, get get resources and permission that the students sometimes can't um yeah we often help staff navigate that and encourage students to find a christian staff member sometimes it's hard finding staff though that that really want to put their head above the parapet sometimes it's the young people that need the way so 
yeah. Thank you, Claire. Um, Lee, I'm, I'm spreading the questions around here tonight. And um, you mentioned earlier a little bit about what's happening in lockdown, but how is Sazra engaging with soldiers during lockdown? Uh, well, for some of us, we're still allowed on camp because the military uh, didn't didn't all stop for COVID. So there's at least four of us that are actively still visiting our different camps. And we've we've all set up online ministries. Um, so Gavin Dixon, for example, now does a Zoom Bible study. That's been brilliant. I've joined that a couple of times. And that is soldiers from all over the country um, and, and elsewhere as well. Um, so that's been absolutely fantastic. But if you go on the SAS website, have a look at some of the stuff. Um, we've set up a Facebook ministry. Um, we've been doing videos. Uh, and just and just a lot of online stuff. And I've reconnected uh, over the Internet uh, with soldiers that I've met uh, 12 years ago, which has been fantastic. Um, so it's, it's it's actually been a very fruitful time for me personally over lockdown. But I, I was able to go on camp and um, have a duty of care pastoral type ministry to the soldiers that were on camp uh, two metres apart, um, social distancing, plenty of hand sanitizer, and... Um, <laughs> Yeah, that sort of stuff. But yeah, the, the ministry goes on. So please, please have a look at our website. Okay, and just one more. And again, this one's for Mark. Um, do you have any tips for evangelising people who think Christianity is just another religion? Yes, one thing to uh, focus on is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, that is a unique uh, feature of Christianity. Uh, also. Uh, focus on, on how good does someone have to be. A lot of people are stuck on as long as you're good, you're moral, you're ethical. Well, how good do you have to be? And uh, sort of to talk about the holiness of God and how we don't measure up, but how God in his love uh, sent Jesus uh, to measure up for us. Uh, and that's the typical, you might have heard the illustration of uh, every other religion is, is trying to reach God. Christianity is unique in that it's God reaching down to us. Great. Thank you. And I'm going to hand over to Dave. Right. Well, thank you very much, Phyllis. I'm sorry to cut the questions a little short, but we can come back later and carry on chatting and maybe uh, put some more questions. Um, but we'll break out into uh, uh, smaller groups to, to pray in a moment. You're welcome to stay and join us, then come back afterwards. But let's, before we do that, say thank you to Roger and to uh, everyone else as well. Uh, it's been fascinating and been so encouraging to hear of gospel works going on in such uh, diverse situations. And uh, it's uh, encouraging and challenging and a reminder to us to be about gospel work as we have opportunity. Let's pray uh, before we go into breakout groups. Father, we thank you for time together this evening. We thank you for the many gospel works that we've heard about uh, in very needy places. Um, such as um, Terry's work in Glasgow and amongst the men in prisons, um, in the sixth form colleges, uh, very often overlooked. Father, we pray for Claire and that work of um, festive that you would bless and use that greatly. We thank you for Andy uh, preaching in the open air and thank you that he's able to get back out again soon and pray for, for him. And uh, Fiona uh, in her work uh, there at the church and um, uh, Mark going on to the doors Father we thank you for the uh, him and so many others doing that and pray that you'd prosper that work Steve over in Ireland and all that's going on there and um, 
lead just amongst the forces. Father, we thank you for all these different works. Would you bless them? Take these labors. We know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Would you use them to bring others, not just to bring the good news of the Lord Jesus to them, but use them, make them fruitful. And we pray that people will be saved through their different ministries. Father, we pray for others not mentioned and others that we're involved in. Father, we long that you would uh, be at work in our land. And we pray that you would help us as we go out with this gospel message to be faithful and loudly proclaiming the Lord Jesus to a needy world around us. Thank you for our time together this evening. Thank you for time over many weeks. And Father, we uh, pray that you, uh, just for many different ones here, has been with us all the way through your blessing upon them. Uh, help us to walk with you. Help us to trust you. Keep us looking to Jesus and serving him faithfully. And we thank you and praise you for the great hope for which is to come in our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. Amen.